Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, a Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Apoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 52 of Theater Forward. We're a full deck of cards. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) So this episode, we're going to talk about something inspired by our upcoming production of Samuel D. Hunter's play, Lewiston Clarkston. And that's this idea of an urban rural or city country divide in the theater. How extensive is that really? How does it play out? Why does it matter? Um, And just for some context, uh, so Samuel D. Hunter is an incredibly prolific and acclaimed uh, contemporary playwright um, from Idaho. uh, And really nearly all, if not all of his plays have been set in that section uh, of the Northwest of this country, you know, mostly rural, um, very focused on Idaho and um, digging deep into, uh, into life there and in that part of the country, um, I would argue with incredibly universal uh, themes, but but set in a very specific region. And um, that got us thinking about, about uh, this, this through line we often hear about in our field of this, there being a conflict between urban and really New York uh, theater and writers and everybody else. And so we thought that would be uh, an interesting topic of conversation. Mike, I know you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> well, you know, I'm the joker in this deck. I got a lot to say about everything. Um, so, you know, I, I I, think Hunter to me in some ways, and I don't have an answer as to why, feels like an exception that proves the rule. Um, I think that rural themes and rural peoples, um, and, and let's make it even more extensive than that. Let's think about this in terms of the disconnect between New York and LA on the one hand and the, and flyover country on the other hand, that you sometimes feel as though you're dealing with two completely different worlds. And I think there's a lot of reasons for, for this. I mean, that, you know, hopefully we can dig into in this conversation. I think one of them is class. I really do. I mean, the average mm-hmm. price of a theater ticket in New York is well over a hundred dollars. Um, 80% of the people that attend theater, um, and this goes to the, to the regions as well, are in the top 15% of, of earners. Um, and I think that leaves a lot of people out. And to me, it calls for something like the rebirth, which you're seeing Jeremy O'Harris and others talk about, of the Federal Theater Project, which in its first two years, you know, put plays in front of 20 million people in over 40,000 productions, two thirds of the people seeing those plays many of them outside of the cities were seeing their very first play. Oh, and guess what? Talk about correlation being causation. Two thirds of those tickets were free um, that were given to those people. So part of this, I think, is something where the national government, it's great for President Biden to talk about, you know, an infrastructure bill, and he's absolutely right. We need one. Um, But one of the things that ought to be included in that infrastructural bill is thinking not just about rural broadband, but about thinking about bringing plays to people that don't normally get um, get to see them. And it's reflected in the themes. I mean, if, if everybody who is buying tickets is in a city, then the themes in these plays are going to reflect that, which, again, is why I think Samuel Hunter is an outlier. And I think maybe he's an outlier because, as you said, Jen, his themes are so universal that Idaho and some of them becomes almost a backdrop to 
to the kinds of things that that he's talking about. And so it's easier for New York audiences to have their cake and eat it, too. They can they can slum in Idaho um, while still getting to talk about the things that they love to talk about. Mike, it's uh, indulge me for a second with a really personal story, but everything you were just saying brought back a memory. So my uh, paternal grandmother, North Dakota farm girl, um, during the Depression, worked for the North Dakota Farmers Union. Um, part of the, the New Deal programs. And she was a young single woman traveling on her own around North Dakota during the 30s, visiting all of these small farming communities. And I discovered when she was in her 90s, she said, oh, did you know I wrote a play? And I, I said, no, no, I didn't. And she pulled out this play that she had written as part of her exercises with these farm communities. And she was using theater as a tool to, to show them how collective efforts could elevate the entire community as they were dealing with the hardships of the Dust Bowl and the depression and all of that. And, um, and for me, that when I think of a, you know, a rural play, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is this beautiful little playlet that my grandmother wrote in the thirties as she was working for the government to try to help, um, help struggling communities. Um, so thank you for bringing that memory back into my, into oh my, my God, mind. that's such a great story. So yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I have to say, I have a, um, a real knee jerk, uh, um, reaction to this idea of flyover country, because yeah. what it does is it dismisses 48 states, 48 states are in this flyover. And I don't, I'm seeing more and more plays from people in this, in the flyover, in the other 48 states um, that aren't sort of a denigration of, of this rural mentality. I mean, that's the beauty of, of Lewiston and Clarkston, for instance, is there's um, no one is being made fun of because of where they live. And I do think that as we get more and more into uh, diverse storytelling, that we'll see more of those stories. And we'll see not just the, the New York um, story of New Yorkers in a big city. I think we are seeing more and more um, diversity in that way. But there are still um, some issues of um, major playwrights who are not getting their fair shake in New York. Um, and Mike, I know you have, uh, I'm teeing you up. You've got, you've got big opinions about that. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I think part of it, I want to riff on something you said, because you were talking about form in a way. And I do think that's that's related. I saw a wonderful play uh, last week out of no theater in Cincinnati, no K-N-O-W, um, by Carrie Dodsevich. It's a, it was a world premiere of a play called Theater, a Love Story. And this is another playwright who, although she lives in New York, does not get nearly the productions um, that she should in New York. And her plays while very cosmopolitan, don't fit the New York mode. And one of the ways they don't, and she had a hilarious riff on this in the play, is they're not what she calls sofa plays. There's a whole scene in this play in which a sofa gets set on fire uh, and then sort of disappears, which was completely satisfying because when you think about a sofa play or a drawing room play, it's so New York. It's also so uh, isolated and um, unaware of things that go on outside if it's boundaries, it's a play about usually upper middle class, white, Julie, to your point, people 
um, unless it's being sent up by somebody like Jackie Sibley's jury. Um, you know, people sitting on a play talking about things. I'm not saying they're not important. I mean, I, you know, I, I love my Edward Albee as much as everybody else, but that's not the only thing going on in the world. And I think what happens in the same way that we're defaulting to white male as normative for so long in so many other ways in theater, a certain idea of a play gets defaulted to as white and heteronormative that leaves a lot of other things out that then get dismissed as rural or regional or non-urban um, and are seen as less important because they're not dealing with these so-called more sophisticated issues. You know, I, I spent uh, nearly 15 years working in New York City theater uh, between my college years and then returning to my, my home state of Wisconsin. And you know, it, while I wouldn't ascribe, uh, you know, sinister or intentionally biased motives to any of it, there really was this idea in that New York City theater community that um, if you didn't come to New York with your talent held out in your hands to offer it up, then you didn't actually care seriously about the American theater. Um, and there was this idea that there wasn't work being new work and exciting work being generated anywhere else. The, the, just the assumption was that if you were a talented, aspiring, serious theater artist, then you would come to New York because that's where you needed to be. And there was a little bit of a wink and a nod towards Chicago and this idea that, well, Chicago is a pretty good theater city, but otherwise, um, you you weren't caring about what was exciting, what was what was new, what was innovative, and and that always um, just resonated with me because I had grown up here. I knew that that new work was being generated all over. I knew it personally about Wisconsin, and having been back here for sixteen years, and I've seen the number of exciting world premieres, exciting new playwrights, exciting artists who have you know, been nurtured and, and launched here. And then I'm, I'm can, I can be a creative person and I can, I can look at all the other States out there and go, yep, I bet this is happening everywhere else too. But, the, but, but very little that gets that seal of approval from the awards, um, the recognition uh, that, um, that can really launch a career. And I think about some of the playwrights that I have been most excited about as a producer here at Forward who really have not gotten the attention from the major, you know, New York critical establishment uh, that that I think they deserve. I mean, obviously, you know, all of us think of Lauren Gunderson as our, our primary example, but here's the most produced playwright in America for multiple years running now. And um, not just kind of ignored by, by most of the New York critical establishment, but, but dismissed sometimes really um, viciously so. Uh, and, and that, you know, that gets my, my backup quite, quite a bit, but I also think, I mean, somebody like I Coulter, who is a brilliant writer, and this is less about the urban rural divide and more about the New York versus the rest of the, of the country divide doing some of the most exciting writing that I've read in, in the last decade. And his, his plays are really pretty much all set in Chicago and he's getting a ton of productions and, and, you know, buzz around the country, but where's his big New York production? Haven't. But just it. as you said, does he need a big, I mean, Ike might say, yes, I do. So I'm not going to speak for Ike. But just as you were saying, like that gives, and it's still true, 
if you've gone to New York and then you've come out of New York, there is there is some sort of badge of honor. I mean, I I make sure that I say I lived there for seven years and I worked, you know, that there there's something about living there that gives um, value and validity to what we're doing now, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about. And then secondly, if Ike, if Lauren are doing all of this work and, and being successful doing all of this work, do they need their Broadway debut? Is it important? And and the reason we're having this conversation, I'm answering my own question, is yeah, kind of. Yes, it is. And and I guess I ask you then, why? Why is it important that Lauren Gunderson, this incredible playwright, um, who, you know, we've seen many, many plays that she has written and love them and we've produced them. Why is it important that she be included in the New York, um, you know, glitterati? I mean, I would argue the first thing that comes to mind, and this goes for for Lauren and in one way and for Ike in another, is representation. There are so few women playwrights being produced on Broadway. There are so few BIPOC playwrights being produced on on Broadway. Here are two exceptional playwrights, beloved playwrights, exciting playwrights. And these would be beautiful opportunities to diversify. And that's the reason, because so much of the country, and maybe, you know, it's short of saying burn it all down and Broadway doesn't matter anymore. But if this is seen as the pinnacle, then there is value for the entire field in having better representation mm-hmm. in well, those next number of blocks of yep. <laughs> New York. <laughs> right. it's, and it's, it's, it's important for, for them. It's important for representation and it's important for theater. I mean, think about the things that Lauren gets dinged for. She gets dinged because she's being theatrical, um, you know, especially in the final moments of her play, because New York does have a sort of suspicion. There's a theatrical versus literary divide. They like plays that are more literary. And that's not to suggest that Lauren's plays aren't beautifully written. That's not my point. But they they are suspicious of those kinds of theatrical gestures, even though the whole point of theater, if we're going to survive, is leaning into its strength to tell a story differently in ways that she absolutely does as well as anybody in the country. Um, it's her optimism. You know, I mean, I mean, New York doesn't like optimistic plays. Lauren's plays are very optimistic in terms of what she thinks is possible. It's it, that gets dismissed in New York as cheesy um, or as sentimental or, God forbid, as melodramatic. Never mind that melodrama was once a very popular art form and I think is unfairly and pejoratively labeled uh, as a negative. It's highbrow versus middlebrow. I mean, Lauren Gunderson writes plays about science, which nobody thinks anything about. But she does it in a way that that even somebody like yours truly, who doesn't have the science background I wish I did, can understand what she's talking about. So it's it's they're educative, um, but in a way that's fun and in a way that is is possible to be um, to be understood. So you know these are all important, not just for for Lauren Gunderson and for representation. They're important for the future of theater. Are we going to be an increasingly esoteric art form? Um, you know, that plays like, you know, Brecht on Brecht on Brecht and, and, you know, and I love me some Brecht as much as anybody, or are we going to be something that can actually reach most people? And then Jen, you're right. I think that does break down along 
gender lines. Why is it that, you know, that genre in, in, in the literary world, historical fiction, romance, Westerns, why are they always dissed as lesser than? Why are, you know, play uh, you know, writers like, like Sarah Orne Jewett or Eudora Welty or Willa Cather dismissed as lesser than and as regional, regional used as a label to denigrate them? You know why? Because they're dealing with themes that aren't getting talked about on Broadway. I mean, Lauren's got domestic dramas unfolding within her historical drama. She's not saying you have to have one or the other. She's saying, let's have both. Mm-hmm. And, and domestic plays, quote unquote, to use a really broad sweeping term, are also something that New York is suspicious of. Yeah. I wonder, you know, listening to this conversation and thinking um, as well about Lewis and Clarkston, which I'll be starting rehearsals for next week. Um, I wonder if part of the reason that Sam Hunter has been <laughs> more embraced, like you said, exception to prove the rule, is that while the settings of his plays um, uh, for the typical New York audience must seem so exotic, sort of the, our generation, Sam Shepard, if you, if you will, but there is something about, I mean, they are for the most part, very naturalistic. They, they are sofa plays in a way, except the sofa is a pup tent or a, you know, a, a, a corridor <laughs> right. at Costco. Um, uh, but, but, and again, not to, to diminish these plays because they are stunning. That's why we're producing them. But I wonder if, if because they aren't as challenging in some ways in terms of their form, like you're discussing, Mike, if that makes it um, makes him more palatable or also the fact that he's he's in New York, I mean, or in the New York area has has moved there. I mean, has 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 come to the center. I don't you know, know, I'm just. I'm just thinking of uh, with Lauren Gunderson of another thing. This is just going through my head now, and I'll probably miss some plays to which this is applicable. But baked right into the plays is this tension. Think about something like Silent Sky with Wisconsin versus Cambridge. Um, Mm -hmm. Think about something like the Jane Austen plays, which is about the provinces versus London. Um, you know, there is a, there is something in in her work where she is aware of uh, you know, the revolutionists is another one with somebody from Haiti versus France, where there is this tension between rural and urban right there on the surface. So it's almost as though whether she's doing it deliberately or it's just the political unconscious bubbling up in her work, you're seeing it in her actual this tension played out in her actual plays, which I think is is just fascinating. Yeah. Who's uh, making these decisions in New York? We say we say it as as like a collective, but there there's not nine million people on the on the island of Manhattan going. You know what I want for theater? This this is a it's a smaller it's a smaller group of 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 control and and we've talked often. Um, on this podcast and and just in conversations about the need for diverse criticism, theatrical mm-hmm. criticism, and would th- could that change uh, what we're talking about? Could if there is um, not um, a couple of people in the establishment of New York determining what's good and what's bad on stage, then then what is included? is broader as well. And what can be seen and be um, sort of given the stamp of approval becomes becomes more diverse as well. Well, and I would I would say just based on my my own experience there and 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 critics help and and this is applying more to plays than to musicals, because they really are in terms of Broadway, these are two very different animals. But I, I think when you ask who gets to decide, if I was to think of 
the, the, the smallest group of most influential voices in terms of what new plays and playwrights get to Broadway, I would look at the artistic directors of Lincoln Center, Manhattan Theater Club, and The Roundabout. Yeah. Those three nonprofit organizations that do, do both on and off Broadway productions if I had if I had to pick the smallest group, obviously there's many other voices that that are involved on in the bigger scale. But if those three companies started really um, broadening, and and I think we've we've seen examples where they are mm-hmm. in recent years, but I think that's a those are a couple of very 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 influential voices. And what where do you put the voices of the theatrical criticism from the New York Times? in terms of deciding oh, what's good and what's <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't want to ask. Well, no, I don't want to bash anybody, but that they have inordinate power in that, in that city. Um, I, have. I still remember, I mean, uh, this was an email from Liz Duffy Adams to Jen, which she shared with me back when I was still doing criticism and I reviewed her play or, which was a fabulous play given a great production by Forward Theater. And I, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, she loved the review. It was a very positive review. It's a really good play and it was really well done. And she said, you know, there's something about, I almost feel as though the, the best critics, here I am patting myself on the back, come from outside of New York, that they are able to appreciate things in a different way. Um, and I, I think what she was saying, if I can read between the lines is, and this goes to something we've talked about in prior podcasts, they're more open to the idea that, that your job as a critic is not to give sort of a thumbs up and thumbs down with a, you know, a health, healthy dose of snark um, baked into what you're doing, but to really try and appreciate comprehensively what is being done. And if you do that, just as a, a matter of noticing, you're forced to go outside of yourself more and pay more attention to what you're seeing rather than to come to things with a predisposed agenda. I think one of the reasons, if you read the reviews of Gunderson plays in New York, and I haven't seen the productions, so you know maybe they were terrible, but the, the, the gist of the reviews and the criticism is of her plays. And I think it's because people are coming at them with a preset idea of what plays are supposed to be which is exactly the opposite in this profession of the way we should always be approaching anything that we see on stage, all of which can teach us to see the world differently. That's the whole freaking point of what we do. And we do need more critics like that. And yes, Julie, of course, if we have more diverse critics, um, we're gonna have more of that ability to approach things from different perspectives than what we're getting right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've we've mentioned, Lauren Gunderson, of course, it's a it's a theater forward podcast. So of course we've mentioned Lauren Gunderson. Um, we just join us. Uh, yes. We should have a four four person podcast. Uh, we've mentioned Ike Holter, um, and and Mike, you you've mentioned a few as well. Are, you know, who are some of the other playwrights that we find really exciting that that are not really getting the attention uh, in New York yet that we f- feel they deserve or wish they would be be getting who who who's out there that that we would really love to see paid some more attention um i'll i'll throw out a name right right off the top of my head of uh, this is another person who is chicago based is loy webb 
uh, whose mm. play The Light was brought to New York. It got so-so reviews there. It got rave reviews in Chicago. It's a it's a really wonderful play. And it takes on a really tough theme about, uh, you know, about the disconnect between uh, sometimes or the tension is maybe a better way to say it between race and gender within the black community. And it, it's sort of loosely based on what on the whole R. Kelly uh, fiasco in, mm. in Chicago. So that's one name I can think of right off the top of my bed. I think with Latinx playwrights, mm. um, you see a lot of this, you know, names in Los Angeles of, of people who are doing things that we're not getting to see as, as much of, um, um, here is, it, is just, and that, again, that's another way in which theater gets, um, gets regionalized. So, I mean, I'm, you know, there are people that are getting productions in New York, but they're not necessarily getting the play um, that they should, 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 should get in New York. And you're seeing a little bit of change with that on the issue of African-American playwrights, mm-hmm. you know, with the Alicia Harris and the Brandon Jacob Jenkins and the, you know, Jackie Sibley's Drury and Jeremy mm-hmm. Harris. You know, I mean, there's some of that, but yeah, you're not yeah. seeing it really go at, at this point beyond that. You're not seeing Native American playwrights. Um, you know, um, Larissa Fast Horse is the one name people probably know. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's so many more, not really answering your question. I mean, no. I think it's, a. no, I think you are. I think you are. I'm thinking another one that I, uh, a player, I mean, again, very much top of mind. Cause we just did her play, but I would really love to see Eleanor Burgess getting more, uh, a little more love in New York. Uh-huh. Um, the niceties isn't her only great play. Right. Right. Yeah. And she's lovely. Um, she's another one that comes to mind. Yeah. I think of, um, uh, Lynn Nottage and, um, that the story of how sweat didn't go to Broadway because the producer, she wanted the cast, the off Broadway cast and the producers wanted some names thrown in there or wanted to change things around. And she refused, refused to do it. And um, I will always admire and love her for that. But I'd like to see more of her. I think she's an incredible playwright. Yeah. Well, or the way Paula Vogel got got jerked around or going farther back, you know, she's getting a lot of play now, the way Alice Childress got jerked around, who similarly refused to make compromises and similarly lost Broadway productions mm-hmm. because of it. It's an old story. And those are, again, paradigmatic examples of, of New York trying to impose a certain rubric on what a play needs to be in order to, um, you know, to, to stage it. I was blown away that slave play actually got a Broadway mm-hmm. um, pr- production. And, but, but, you know, what the big story was leading up to it is all the skepticism about whether or not it was even possible for this play to make it on Broadway. And it was almost like there was a fear in the New York critical community. They're like, well, we love this play, but we don't think other people will understand it. Well, guess what? It did fine. And it's because people are more willing to explore differences um, in, in form than, than they're given credit for. Yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to see uh, as things resume over the course of this next year, how that changes. I mean, we've talked before about the fact that live theater is likely to come back sooner in the regions than in New York City for a lot of, you know, technical safety related reasons and economic reasons. And, you know, this may be a shift point in the field where we we see um, some things. I mean, a lot of the New York critics are now reviewing productions from companies around the country because everything's digital right now, as we've seen firsthand here. But it's, you know, 
I, you know, I, I don't want to bash New York critics too much because there are some, some, some really smart ones. And partly it's they're, they are reviewing what's there in New York and not, not everybody's traveling around the country and seeing, seeing what's happened because theater is in non COVID times only accessible in the community in which it's taking place. And so um, there's a lot of, new awareness and an exposure happening right now. And I think a lot of the stories of theater coming back will be happening around the country more than in just New York over this, this year. So there's an opportunity here for change. And I'm just looking at the clock. We've been going for a while. It's, it, this has been one of the more fun conversations and also, you know, sort of one of the more all over the place. It's, this wasn't so much, and here's a super disciplined dissection of a particular topic so <laughs> much as what we want to talk great. about. And I have enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, but I think we could say that that is all for this episode of Theater Forward. Conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. If you want more all over the place conversations, come to the place where form is being remade, which is this podcast as a microcosm <laughs> of American theater. It's produced as always by Scott Hayden, the Renaissance man who is also everywhere that can every anyone can be. And you can follow <laughs> us through his auspices and through his help um, at uh, Facebook or Twitter. As always, it's theater forward with an ER on theater. <laughs> and if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And we'd love to hear from you. Please write, send a review, email us. We're so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward Conversation. Conversation.